Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of the week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine, and with me today is your favorite person in the whole world that you work with, Retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli. Obviously full of too much caffeine today. Yeah, all right. You're up and ready. Let's get going. This is sort of the official, unofficial start of the summer as we head into uh, Memorial Day weekend. So let's get started. Um, A a year after uh, the uh, school shooting in Evaldi, Texas, Officer Magazine uh, had put together a uh, readership survey looking at uh, what can be done to prevent uh, active shooter incidents going forward. Um, Frank, can you talk a little bit about um, that survey that we uh, we published the results of this week? Yeah, so uh, a year after Uvalde, but um, literally just a few days after the attack at Covenant Presbyterian um, School in Nashville, with a, you know that was the big impetus. Our our company headquarters, for people who don't know, is Nashville, Tennessee, and our chief executive officer, our CEO, can literally look out of his office window and see the Covenant Presbyterian steeple across the parking lot across the street. So this was this really hit close to home for our corporate leadership. Uh, and realizing that they had a readership audience uh, of primarily law enforcement, they wanted to find out what did law enforcement really think could be done, what was realistic, what we, could we do to prevent active shooter events. And I think the the, the leadership had kind of a mixed view, um, and I don't mean to be speaking out of turn, I'm not trying to represent any of their thoughts or any corporate outlook or any of that, but you know, if, if you read me- newspapers, uh, if you if you watch TV, you're going to get a happy mix of, um, you know, we sh- gun control is the answer or uh, mental health treatments, the answer or hardening schools is the answer, uh, you know, and, and there's you never really know what's realistic it is what's what's not an agenda. So corporate ask us, we put out the survey and, and you know, we had uh, our readership, primarily law enforcement, come back with the answers and. Uh, as I kind of expected, having been a police officer for over 40 years, uh, our readership um, was, so let me get, before I go into that, the active, the, the survey respondents were 92% either law enforcement or retired law enforcement. Um, and then, you know, there's another 8% of them. There's this other chunk uh, that uh, all have served as volunteer or reserve officers um, the, the, the respondents was a mix of police officers, sheriff's deputies, federal officers, state officers, uh, campus officers, DOC people, and some other, uh, you know, private agencies like mm. hospitals and stuff like that. Um, there was a mix of urban, suburban, and rural responses. Uh, and our largest response pool came from the Mid-Atlantic region. I'll leave, you know, and, and I could go into all the different details and demographics of all the respondents, but at the end of the day, what really jumped out, excuse me, um, was uh, how often 
agencies are getting active shooter response training. So two-thirds of the agencies represented said they have received that training within the last year. Um, 16% said over a year ago, 13% said they couldn't remember when they had such training. And uh, this is really sad. 4% reported never having attended any type of active shooter response mm. training at all. Um, that any agency out here that's not doing active shooter response training or sending their officers to attendant, if they don't have the wherewithal to give it, they, every officer on the street, if, if you've been through a police academy, you've been on the street a year, you should have had active shooter response training. If mm -hmm. not, your agency's negligent. Some chiefs can email me and tell me I'm wrong and explain to me why. It's frank at officer.com. But you're negligent if you don't have your cops trained for this. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going away. We've got to take care of them. Um, all the agencies out there, well over half said they they, uh, they train a single officer response or first on scene or all available. So, I mean, to me, it's all the same thing. Whoever gets there first goes to neutralize a threat. 9% reported still using a four-officer diamond response, which was what we started with 20-some-odd years ago and really needs to be updated uh, unless you just have so much manpower that within 10 seconds of the report, you got four cops on the scene. 7% surprisingly reported only a SWAT response, and that's that's worrisome. That, that just waiting means more victims. The longer you wait to, to, to uh, engage the shooter, the more victims you have. Um, now, as, as for the what we can we do per, to prevent them, uh, an amazing 97% uh, said train our first responders. So the number one thing was, was train response. Uh, and even 94% included the public in that training, all right? Preventing felons from purchasing or possessing a firearm, 86% was up there. I love this. Requiring background checks for all firearms purchases. Uh, that's already happening everywhere, but 83% supported that, obviously. Prohibiting those with mental health issues from purchasing or possessing a firearm was at 68%, nearly 70%. And I think that number would be higher, except we do start getting into some privacy concerns and worries uh -huh. and issues. Um, red flag laws uh, were not high with about a 50%. Uh, support allowing teachers to carry firearms while at the school or arming teachers to carry firearms at school was about the same way about 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 50 50 um when it comes to the strict gun control laws like banning the sale of semi-automatic weapons which some uh states have tried to do now and it's being fought in the courts 83 percent of our responding police officers strongly opposed that gun control measure Mm -hmm. Um, that, and that says something, I mean, cops are not in favor of gun control as a, a way of, of reducing active shooter events, but training for a faster response and even including the public and the teachers in that response is. So, I mean, we really need to, and we really need to focus. Number one, we need to make sure the training is being done. It ought to be trained every year. Number two, we ought to be expanding the training to not only be our officers, but all responding EMS and fire and faculty and teacher and staff if they're going to be legally armed in the schools. The absolute fastest way, best way to reduce casualties and victims is to engage the attacker as fast as possible. 
There's a difference between active shooter respondent, first responder, and an immediate responder. An immediate responder is someone who's on the scene when the attack starts. A first responder is somebody who has to respond to the scene and then engage. So if you have a, a teacher in a classroom, I mean, I look back at Virginia Tech. If one of those professors in Norris Hall had been armed, trained, and authorized to shoot Sung Hee Cho, maybe there wouldn't have been 30 murders in that building that morning. Maybe there have been a lot less. But training is the answer. Legally armed people is the answer, not gun control. And I think I think the results of the survey showed that quite clearly. And that is the... Um... To have respondents uh, say how um, the point out the lack of training they uh, they might have encountered, um, that's oh boy, that is disheartening. Especially since in every facet of the job, um, training is the key to keeping officers safe uh, and keeping the the public safe. Absolutely, um, and I think too. It, you're also highlighting the fact that this is this is a two pronged um, approach. Is there is the response and what um, first responders need to uh, the skills they need to have to deal with these events, and then there is the the larger issue of how to prevent this, and that's where we get into the uh, mental health aspects and that that does that be that is it's it's a law enforcement issue but it's also it, it it's a it's a healthcare issue in the sense of that that's the arena that needs to be um looking at at things um you know police officers shouldn't be diagnosing and having to deal um with uh, the public's mental, mental health. health. Absolutely not. And we're not trained for that. But, right. But should somebody who has a clean criminal record, but who has been, uh, they've been committed to an emergency psychiatric facility five times in their life, should they be able to, to go out and buy a gun? And and I think a lot of people will go, well, no, we, we need to. But by the same today, token, in today's society, uh, you know, you can have somebody committed. You can call in your neighbor with the red flag law. You you can be charged with domestic violence and you and you never committed a single act of violence on either spouse can be, you know, the false accusation mm-hmm. can be made. And we have to be acutely aware that we don't deny people, number one, their rights, number two, their ability to defend themselves based on an unsubstantiated accusation. Uh, but we got to find a way, you know. Most of these shootings, when you look at it, after the fact, they, they they do the investigation and they report, well, so-and-so did this on social media or so-and-so did this. You know, one shooting I'm aware of, the person who committed the shooting had written up an essay and submitted it to the school where he, atta- where he attacked a year before the event and said, this is exactly how I would do it if I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And this person ended up with a violent crime history. And this person was known to have some emotional instability. And yet this person was able to go out and legally purchase two firearms and commit this attack. There, there's got to be a better way. But for all of that, and I go back to Virginia Tech, when that attack started, if you had had legally armed staff, faculty, or students, any one of whom could have engaged Cho and, and taken him out, maybe you wouldn't have had 30 murders that day. Maybe you'd had 15. Maybe you had five. Maybe you had two. 
You, know, you look at the, the church down in Texas where the guy stood up uh, and starts shooting and the security guy in the back of the room pulls out his 1911 and shoots the, the shooter and you only have two casualties. That is the best way to reduce the number of casualties. I hate to say it. I know all the gun control advocates hate to hear it. But a good guy with a gun properly trained is the fastest way to stop a bad guy with a gun who's committing a crime. But we could talk about this could be a whole half hour episode. Right. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the our next story. Um, uh, another um, anniversary. Um, this marked uh, this week marked the uh, third year anniversary of the death of George Floyd. Uh, in this week, uh, President Joe Biden um, talked again about uh, making police reforms across the country. Um, at, uh, during a speech this week, he uh, said, I urge Congress to enact meaningful police reform and send it to my desk. I will sign it. Uh, currently, um, well, actually, uh, this year, uh, his George Floyd Justice and Policing Act um, to try to combat police misconduct was passed by the House, but not uh, the Senate. Uh, there has there is yet to sort of be a, a clear cut idea of what police reforms look like um, in the aftermath of George Floyd. Uh, the immediate aftermath you heard of defund the police um when that actually when the rubber hit the road so to speak um i i, I don't want to say all communities but just about the majority of the communities decided uh decided when it was put to votes or uh decisions like that that they didn't want to defund the police and in fact um a lot of communities uh looked at financially upping their support of their police budgets. Um, so it, again, we, we kind of, we hit that uh, sort of a disconnect in some cases of what, um, what you might be hearing the public saying uh, they want and in action, what that actually means. Well, and it's kind of funny because we say hearing what the public says they want, and remembering that the public in this country is pushing 340 million now, do we really hear from 340 million people or do we hear from a couple of thousand really loud, sometimes criminal, um, you know, with their outlook blasted through the mainstream media and given this huge loud voice that maybe is not proportionate to the population. Now, uh, before I go into this and everybody thinks that, that, uh, I'm I'm okay with George Floyd having died, or that I think criminals should all be killed, or that I'm somehow this cold heinous. No, look, um, I I I wish in the perfect world of Frank Borelli, I wish nobody ever died in police custody, and I wish that law enforcement didn't have to use any violence at all, any physical force at all, to enforce the law and to affect arrests and to keep other people safe. But that's not reality. Reality is that law enforcement has a job to do. And when criminals resist arrest, force has to be used to subdue them. The harder they resist, the more force has to be used 
And unfortunately, sometimes severe injury and death occurs. I think every officer in the country right now does everything they can to avoid that. I honestly, truly believe that. Now, with all that said, uh, anytime we try to do something at a national level, we have to recognize that it's not going to be equally appropriate everywhere. Policies and mm -hmm. procedures for New York City Police Department are not appropriate for Humboldt, Iowa Police Department. Why? Because one's 35,000 cops and one's five cops. Um, the values and beliefs of the breadbasket of America are different than the values and beliefs of New England or Southern California or Texas. I mean, you know, it's it's every every region and every area has their own values and beliefs. And for uh, a federal government to say, this is how we're going to do everything, and this is how you must do everything. And let's keep in mind this, too. Congress can pass a law. The Senate can agree with them, and the president can sign it. But if they don't fund it, there's no mandate to enforce it. And mm -hmm. if they turn around and try to punish agencies for not enforcing their mandates with no funding, all they're doing is financially punishing those police departments and, and sheriff's agencies. I mean, this gets to be a very complicated issue, but what I would remind people of, and the biggest thing in the world I would remind people of, is that reform occurs in law enforcement every year. You know, we talk about reform of the police, we have to make the police, nothing's changed since the 60s, and that's a load of crap. Every year, there's court cases that get decided that affect how we do business. There's... Uh, insurance mandates because everybody has liability insurance and the insurance company gets to tell us what we have to do and what we don't do those mandates require you know they get put into policy they be, they require training every year we reform how we police and that's never ever reported on and it's never taken into consideration and the interesting part is all those people in congress and all the people in senate and president biden himself i want to identify any one of them who's ever put on a badge and worked the street at all ever and has enough knowledge and experience to understand what law enforcement is and how it works and how it has to be done they're making laws and rules and guidelines to pimp votes not because they have a clue if one of them wants to go do a ride along every you know five days a week for a year i'll tip my hat to them if they want to go put themselves through citizens police academies i'll tip my hat to them but when they try to make laws in complete ignorance that's not really doing anybody any good, but it is helping them pander to votes. And I think one of the biggest uh, reforms that could happen that we've sort of touched on a bit is training reform in the sense of making sure agencies have the ability and the funding to have officers trained taking the time to train properly so many times department I, I hear departments or actually cities say look we you know we can't we're short staff we can't keep uh, people off the streets to patrol you know for training we you know we need them out there um and, and it's sudden it, it becomes you know this vicious uh cycle um and if you We've already talked how important training can be and, um, you know, for both the officer and the public. But, boy, you know, it's you're going to have a tough time when when cities say, oh, no, we can't. You know, we need to 
we need the bodies on the street. We don't we don't need them training that they they can do that on they can figure that on their own time or or we'll kind of squeeze it in and and then to to um to be befuddled why you know people officers maybe aren't up to the level or the speed they should be in you some know, cases th this is what i find interesting and and, and, it, and it's really not that difficult in the math when president obama was in office and and uh body-worn cameras were all the rage i'm gonna do math while we talk <laughs> um you know he he put 4.4 billion dollars aside to fund body cameras okay if we took that same amount of money and we divided it up per officer in the United States, we would and dedicated it to training. And I, I hear what you're saying. So let, let's uh -huh. put more money behind training. If we took that same $4.4 billion and gave it to agencies per capita. So if you've got five officers, you get X amount for five officers. You got 35,000, you get that much. That's $5,500 per officer. $5,500. Do you know how much that would pay for in training and in salaries and in manpower and in equipment? If every agency out here got $5,500 per officer, that amount, that you divide that in half and do it over two years. And you still have an amazing positive adjustment to the training budget of agencies nationwide. And it would be welcomed by law enforcement. Even if the government said here, we're going to, there's a stipulation. We you're going to have to do force on force excuse me, or use of force training or how to deal with mental pe people with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. I don't care what the man, $5,500 would go a long way for every officer. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, On to our next story. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're heading into the Memorial day holiday weekend um, in Illinois. Um, Governor JB Pritzker is, um, has, is deploying a, uh, members of its uh, newly created um, citywide crisis prevention and response unit, um, sending him to Chicago. Uh, essentially, um, they are uh, these peacekeepers, as they're being called, would um, go. It would be in situations to deescalate um, uh, before large crowds become unruly mobs. Um, the idea is sort of the in-between of, uh, of a full police response and um, not doing anything. Um, this is, uh, again, sort of the um, largest uh, deployment of, uh, of these um, officers that I have uh, seen so far. I think they're about uh just a little over two dozen um and um with weather getting warmer people being out um I, I think this is an attempt to see how uh how uh programs like this work so it's interesting to see i think two dozens are dropping a bucket um mm -hmm. And, and I want I want to say this. It, I think it's kind of cyclic. And, and I'll go. But this kind of relates back to the article we talked about about President Biden's call for police reform. These these things are cyclic. But we don't. When we talk about really big agencies and really big changes, they're cyclic, not over weeks, but over years and sometimes decades. All right. Let's keep in mind that law enforcement used to be referred to as peacekeepers. 
um, you know, National Peace Officer Memorial Day was May 15th, not police officer, peace officer. And the, the changes we've seen in law enforcement are a direct result of the mandates that have been passed down restricting um, officer discretion and, and the officer's ability to exercise different solutions. When you start mandating enforcement, when you start saying to police officers, you don't have a choice in this, you have to make an arrest. In this, you have to make an arrest. Here in Maryland now, you get pulled over uh, by the state police, as I understand mm -hmm. it. There is no, you might get a verbal warning. You got pulled over, you're getting written something. The, 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 the discretion's been taken away. Mm -hmm. I think that if the politicians would return the power of discretion to law enforcement, they'd realize that they don't, they don't need to keep coming up with these new solutions. Police knew how to do it 50, 60 years ago. Now, is it a different world? Yes, it is. Do we have to have a different level of respect in how we treat people? Certainly we do. Um, but there's a different level of respect for the authority as well. And I think that it's all cyclic. It's all changed. Biden and him, him and the reform, and we've talked about defunding the police, refunding the police. Well, guess what? You defund and over a year, two years, you see a hike in crime rate. And then you have to refund. And it's going to take a year or two for the crime rate to go back down. It's cyclic. But you have to, there, there's no short-term, immediate, quick answer, is what I'm saying. This is a really right. cool effort. I think it's more touchy-feely, feel-good than it is going to be actually operationally productive and efficient. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's amazing. But to me, it just seems another political boondoggle. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to pay 24 people overtime to go work the streets and hope that makes a difference in a city of how many people, I don't even know what the population of Chicago is, but I can't imagine 24 is a huge percentage of it. Right. And you hope that it can, it can serve to just be that effect of, uh, seeing a presence, uh, just helping reduce by, by the mere fact that, okay, you know what, we see the police out there, that helps. I mean, again, that's a very, it, it's a little bit that helps. Um, is it, uh, is it uh, a, a magic bullet uh, to, to solve it? Uh, probably not. Yeah, I hate uh, to say this, Joe, but I, I want to, <laughs> I know we were supposed to have three more things to discuss and, and I don't think we're going to, I think we're going to run out of time. So um, I really want to touch on the Good Samaritans, uh, mm -hmm. coming to the aid of the California Highway Patrol officer and, and then our stupid criminal of the week, if we can. Well, yeah, real quickly, let's um, that first story uh, in California, a um, a California Highway Patrol officer um, was uh, trying to get uh, take a, to deal with a man who was on the highway yelling at passing motorists. Um, that individual attacked the officer, um, and thanks to three bystanders who saw this assault happening, um, they were able to step in and and help um, help the officer as um, this clearly troubled man was was attacking him. And you know, I, I want to call out. I don't know who the the, the first person. Um, I guess it was uh, this gentleman. Everardo Navarro, mm -hmm. who was the first citizen to respond to this this California Highway Patrol officer needing assistance, he, he saw this a, a, a criminal fighting or suspect fighting the police officer. The police officer pinned to the ground, 
So he gets out of his car and he goes over. He's the first guy. Now, why wasn't he in a race with five other people to go help the officer? It's my complaint. Everybody should have been rushing the police officer. But I want to compliment Mr. Navarro because his action inspired others. He was the first guy to do it. And then somebody else helped. And then somebody else helped. And that's what it takes. Everybody will stand around and watch until one person has the courage and the wherewithal to start to do something. And then other people join in. So those three citizens that helped, that California Highway Patrol officer, awesome work to them. Thank them very much. I encourage every law-abiding citizen, help your officers if you see that they need help. Don't be afraid to get involved. They're going to say thank you after you help them out. I, I just want to encourage that. I, I want people got to know, police officers don't feel citizen support right now because of what mainstream media reports. Prove to us mainstream media is wrong. Help us out. And again, their actions really not only possibly saved the officer's life, but also that individual who uh, clearly, again, in mental crisis, um, it could have ended up a lot more tragic. Um, and on to our final story. Um, another case of what what are you thinking uh in the criminal department um two would be burglars uh accidentally butt dialed 911 uh in while they were in the commission of a crime um interestingly they were what uh, dispatch heard uh from one of the individuals uh, the police are coming we've got to get out of here um you know it, it's it's nice to see that uh, that the offenders are also doing what you're saying and helping out the police um, when it comes to doing their duties. You know, I think everybody who's had a cell phone for any amount of time has had this happen to them, you know, and we affectionately call it this butt dialing. You're sitting in your pocket. Somehow a button gets pushed. But to do that with 911 and then provide the police with that nice recorded call of how you discuss what's worth stealing or what's not. And then recognizing that you're committing a crime, so you got to run once the police start to show up. Um, what gets me in, in, at the end of this is that after the men were arrested and then released, um, he, he after their release, one of these two suspects called the police department and wanted the police department to remove the Facebook post about the arrest because it was embarrassing. Well, I'm not going to feel much sympathy, number one, for a criminal and for someone whose own butt dial made them look stupid. Sorry, you're just going to have to be embarrassed on Facebook. I think it's hilarious. Darwin Award of the Week goes to those two. Uh, there you go. Um, again, as uh, that's all for this week. As uh, I mentioned earlier, this is uh, Memorial Day weekend. And yes, it is a, a three-day holiday but uh, or three day weekend, but there's also um, a very important uh, reason why um, we have why we're uh, honoring this day, and that is for uh, the men and women who uh, gave their lives in military service for this country. Absolutely, honor the fallen. Um, you know, it's not the Veterans Weekend. Don't thank those who have served. Remember those who died in service. I'm glad you didn't say celebrating the weekend. I, that irks me. Um, 
there's a reason we honor these people and, it, and it's not a reason to be celebrated except that we should all appreciate the freedoms they defended for us thank you this morning joe thank you everyone uh check back next week for our new episode and stay safe thank you for listening to this week's episode of the lineup please remember the opinions voiced are not those of officer media group or endeavor business media but only those speaking those opinions themselves thank you and stay safe